0: And uh, I, you know know me, I'll cry at the drop of a hat and drop the hat, you know. Uh, But you know, it's a good reminder in our lives that none of us are where we are today because of ourselves. Uh, It's because of other people and how that God uh, has brought those people into our hearts and lives. And I thank God uh, for that. And uh, it is sometimes we need to be reminded of that, uh, that we are not self-made. That God has done His work in us and done that through people. Today, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1. Mark, chapter number 1, verse 12 through 20. Verse 12 through 20. I'm here and you're here. All right. All right. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. What a great group today. Let's see. this is the first Sunday, so we have a next generation in here with us today. So let's give next generation a big hand today. All right? <laughs> and all those who give their life on Sunday mornings to minister to our children, and we thank God for them. Let's look across. Uh, the congregation this morning that we are quite a diverse group of people, aren't we? We are. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome uh, that we are so diverse, and yet God has brought us together for such a time as this, and uh, that is something that only God could do. So, what a great uh, thing to think about today. Mark 1, verse number 12. The Bible says this, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time was fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. And believe the gospel. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, and they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who also were in the ship mending their nets and straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him let's pray together father we do give you thanks for this time to be together with your people we thank you for the reminder God Lord that so many people have invested in our lives throughout uh, these many years and God we say thank you to you, we say thank you to them, and God recognizing that, uh, that we are all still in a, uh, we're a work in progress. So God, thank you for what you're doing inside of my life, inside of our lives together, and God, thank you that we can come and we can just celebrate the fact of our uh, diversity and how we are all uh, uniquely and wonderfully made, and yet that you have brought us together. Lord, as a body of Christ, and Lord, uh, that is amazing to me. Lord, today, I pray for the, those who are out preaching the gospel today. Uh, Lord, those who are from our church, our sister churches that are uh, having services right now, God. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, have your way in their, in their time together. God, that you would fill them with your spirit today. I pray for lost sinners to come to faith and belief in you today and Lord uh, we just know we stand in need of you God there's nothing that I have to offer anyone God it's just simply all what you can do and God I, I want to be dependent upon you and Lord I want you to speak through me the words that we need to hear today so Lord I pray that this time and this place would be set aside for you and for you alone We pray it all in the name of Jesus, amen. Today in this text of scripture, we see Jesus' power and authority, Jesus' power and authority. There's three uh, demonstrations of that uh, in these few verses of scripture. First of all, we see, see Jesus' power and authority over Satan, Jesus' power and authority over Satan in verse 12 and 13. And then in verse 14 and 15, we see Jesus' power and authority over sin, Jesus and power, His power and authority over sin. And then lastly, in uh, 13, 14, 16 through 20, in 16 through 20, we see Jesus' power and authority over his servants. Over his servants. Those three things, as we walk through this text of scripture today, and in Mark's fashion, as we can already see, that uh, he is kind of uh, hitting things, hitting them and going, hitting them and going. He's not staying in one place uh, for very long. And so, uh, consistent with that, as we begin today in our reading in verse 12, and immediately, there's that word again, some 40 times that it's going to be used. Uh, in this uh, book, and so today I think it's like three times, immediately or straightway, is used in today's text. So we just see him just giving us little glimpses sometimes of what Christ is doing. His ministry and the power that is on display through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So three significant events here and what is uh, laid out before us uh, today. We see, number one, his power and authority over Satan. See, it's kind of interesting, I think, that in verse 12, he says that the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Now, we we see what is happening here, and he is being tempted uh, by Satan. We know uh, that in the the Gospel of, of Matthew and the Gospel of John, really, really expand upon this, we see a very abbreviated uh, a synopsis of what happened there uh, in, in Mark's gospel, but, but Matthew and John, and I'd encourage you to check that out sometime, you see that it is much more uh, in-depth as to what is going on, so that he is being led by the Spirit to Satan's temptation. What an interesting, interesting thing there to think that we can be led by the Spirit into places of our life that will bring us uh, to the subjection of Satan's temptation. You know, that kind of contrary sometimes to what we may naturally think would happen. We don't think that the Spirit of God would drive us to a place of hardship, that the Spirit of God would take us to a place where we'd get down to the nitty-gritty of our soul and really make us come to grips with where we are with the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship with the Father. But I think that if anything should be taken from this one verse is a reminder that a Spirit-led life is not all ice cream and cake. That a Spirit-filled life is often a difficult life. And so I believe that uh, as you see here in the life of Jesus, that He definitely demonstrates that a Spirit-filled life can be a very difficult life. Now this word, as it says, is being led by the Spirit, it it, it really means to be shot out, kind of like being shot out of a cannon uh, type deal. That Jesus, as he was living his life, that we should not look at him as one who was a victim of circumstances that oh he was living life and woe is Jesus all this stuff just started piling on him no as you see this that he was being propelled by the spirit of God forcing him out into the life that God knew was ahead of him and Jesus was not afraid Jesus was not uh, you know said, oh I don't know if I can handle this oh I don't know I don't know but no he was following the compulsion of the Holy Spirit of God that was leading him and guiding him and yes yes he knew there would be difficulty that was ahead for him but he did not live in fear but he lived following and being compelled and compulsed is compulsed even a word by the Holy Spirit of God He was doing that kind of ministry in life. And oh, what a demonstration for me and for you that my life would be propelled by the Holy Spirit of God into into whatever life brings me and that I don't have to live as a victim. That Christians, we as Christians, need to get rid of the victim mentality. And that we are victors through the Lord Jesus Christ and he went into the wilderness for 40 days. Maybe your Bible may say that he went into the desert for 40 days, for whatever. It's the same thought. It was an uninhabitable place, a place that people were not just naturally going to be building houses and taking up residence there, that they say this was a large uh, area. I believe that the a sea, the sea of Galilee there, it was like a, a 7 by 15 uh, mile area, and the wilderness was twice that. It was like 15 by 30, all right? Just give or take a little bit for our math, so to speak. So it was a, a large area, and that is where the Holy Spirit of God sent him there, and it was uh, uh, really as those who were Uh, kind of superstitious even, that they would look at that as the the lair of the devil, all right? And so in their mindset that this was a tough place uh, to exist and truly this wasn't just the lair of the devil for the superstitious. We see that it truly was the lair of the devil, that he was there and that he was present there with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now uh, it becomes obvious to us that this was not a, uh, an easy thing. It was something that happened for thir- 13. Verse 13 says it happened for 14 days. 14. 40 days. Woo! It's gonna be a long day people. It's gonna have for 40 days and 40 days is very uh, significant in the word of God that you see oftentimes that this number is used uh, throughout the Bible, and it's some, sometimes it's synonymous with trouble and trial, but definitely it is synonymous with significant events in the Bible. That 40 days that the rain came down in the worldwide flood in Genesis 7. It was for 40 days that Goliath came out and he taunted the children of Israel. And then for 40 years, you know, that the children of Israel, that they wandered around in the wilderness. So you see in the Bible that 40 definitely has some significance to it. And I believe that as we see that it brings all these other images to our mind. Now, this text does not said, it doesn't really go into all of the details, but when you go check it out in, in Matthew and in John, you'll know uh, that Satan, that he tried to, uh, tried to play uh, upon the weakness of the moment. See, I think that obviously that for those days that Satan that he that he tempted Jesus but I personally I believe that the heaviest that the most intense attacks and what we see happen there in in the synoptic gospels when he that you know Satan he offers him bread Satan that he takes him uh, to the pinnacle of the temple he takes him to a to a high place and he is He is tempting him that he will fulfill his physical needs in food, uh, that that need for for worship and and having all the kingdoms and all these things. But after 40 days, can you imagine, after 40 days of fasting, the physical weakness and, and the mental and emotional weakness that must have been present in the Lord Jesus. Remember, he's all God, but he's all man alright so you know I'm I'm hangry if I miss lunch alright so can you imagine can you imagine in your life 40 days uh, Moses and Elijah they also fasted 40 days kind of interesting that those two men are the ones he also saw on the Mount of Transfiguration there but those three had that in common But after 40 days, the weakness, physically, emotionally, mentally, weak. And that's when Satan really bombarded him. What should we take away from that? I believe those are some prime times when Satan will attack you as well. When you're physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually weak. All those are times when Satan loves to attack you. And he does attack you. He does attack me. Why? Because he's out to ruin you. He's out to discourage you. He's out to put you on the sidelines. He's out to take you out of the game. That's what he's out to do. It wasn't too long ago where uh, there were some uh, football players that got in trouble for that because they were really... I don't know, conspiring to take people out of the game. I think they're all trying to do that, really, don't you? When you look at it, they're not hitting them for the fun of it, are they? Satan's playing for keeps. He's trying to take you out of the game. That's what he was longing to do for Jesus Christ himself. But Jesus, that he showed that he was victorious. Right out of the gate, right out of the gate, that Jesus Christ took on Satan. When his ministry was just starting, he took on Satan to show that he was powerful, to show that he was all that he claimed that he was. Now, when we look at a temptation like this, there are two things, two things present. Obviously, that Satan desired to tempt Jesus in order to trip him up, in order to ruin him, in order to discredit him, in order to finish His ministry because if Jesus would have sinned right here, it would have been all over. So Satan, obviously, that Satan did it in order to trip him up and ruin him. That's what Satan does in your life and mine. But as you and I go through trial and tribulation and temptation in this world, that God, that he allows those things in our life not to trip us up but to test us and show that we are true. And that's what it was in Jesus' life. It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for Jesus to pass the test. It was an opportunity for Jesus to prove for all the world that he was very much true. Now, this was a continuous thing that happened for those 40 days. You know, in your life, in my life, I don't think we ever get out of a place of temptation. Now, temptation looks, has a, different, a million different faces to it. You know, we, we, we may think that it's, you know, robbing a bank or this or that, but, it, you know, temptation looks all sorts of ways. And for your life and mine, that I don't suppose that you'll ever get through those 40 days, that we're always, always being bombarded with temptation. But thank God that Jesus Christ, His Son, that he overcame, that he endured, that he persevered, that he was victorious, and he showed that he had authority over Satan himself. And friend, because that Jesus Christ, our Savior, that he had victory, and friend, that he is ever living in victory, that you and I, that we can live in confidence, knowing that we can have victory in our lives over temptation as well say Ronnie I just can't oh yes you can I may give it to you that you can't but you can through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I can we can be victorious in temptation and so I don't know where you're at on that I don't know what your temptation looks like but let me give you hope let me give you encouragement for your journey, knowing that your Savior, that He was victorious and that He will give you the strength that you need as you face the temptations of your life. There's going to be plenty of opportunity to throw in the towel, plenty of opportunity for you to give up. And there was with Jesus. Sometimes I believe we look at Him and say, boy, he, it, was a, it was a piece of cake for Him. No, this was his humanity. His humanity. It wasn't a piece of cake for him. It was real. The Bible tells us that he endured all sorts of tribulation and trial, just like you and I do. He was there in a place of wild beasts. Now, I I don't know if he was always living under the, the threat of an attack. I don't know. Can you imagine what that would take out of you thinking you may be attacked at any time? I don't know. If in the garden, if Satan could take the form of a serpent in the garden, what would keep him from doing something like that here? I don't know. But he was with the wild beast. But notice that he also says that the angels ministered unto him what a blessing to know that in the midst of trouble in the midst of trials that god has his angels who minister to those who are in trouble ministers to those who are in need just as he did for jesus christ i believe that god has his eye that he has his affection upon his children, that they are ministering spirits, that they are messengers, they are servants of the Most High God, and they are out doing his business, that they were doing his business then, and they are still doing God's business today in the lives of his children. So know when you're in trouble, know when you're in temptation that God has his his angels there with you to shore you up, to encourage you, and to take care of you in the midst of it all what a blessing so he was victorious he was powerful over Satan and then let's look in 14 and 15 he's powerful and has authority over sin now after that John was put in prison Jesus came into Galilee and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, if you do your background work, that you'll know that probably for six months to a year or so had transpired between uh, these verses that we have before us in verse 13 and 14. Probably six months to a year has transpired between verse 13 and 14. He had been ministering there in uh, Judea, in that area. And now after uh, John's uh, arrest, uh, either out of necessity just because of the uh, turbulence there or whatever, maybe because of the uh, more populous area was where Jesus was going next. We don't, I don't know all of the whys of it, but we see that he has changed locations and this kind of becomes uh, his, his uh, home base for ministry in this upcoming couple of years there. John being put into prison, uh, you'll, you can read about that uh, in the Gospels as well. Here in chapter 6, we'll have a little review of it in chapter number 6 as John the Baptist that, you know, he had a way with words. And uh, he, he didn't cower down nor back down uh, to the king and told him that, uh, you know, him uh, marrying his brother's wife, that it was sinful and all that stuff. And those, all those Herods, as you look at those, that line of Herods, that they were very uh, mean, uh, evil men, that they were murderers, that they were uh, sinful, that they were very violent men. And uh, so John the Baptist, that he loses his life, loses his head uh, because of his preaching. And so now Jesus, that he moves to Galilee. Now, if anyone, if anyone has ever preached with power, if anyone has ever preached with authority, it was Jesus Christ. You know the scribes and the Pharisees; they they were good about telling what somebody else said. But Jesus Christ, that He preached with authority and power upon Him, and He knew what was supposed to be said. He knew what was supposed to be done. And there, in that time, I can only try to put my plate, my myself, in that place that day, as they heard the Lord Jesus Christ, the the Prince of all Glory, as He preached the gospel, as He preached. There's salvation. They preached that there was hope. He preached that there's a place going to be prepared called heaven for them. There's a, there's, I can only imagine all that was experienced as you sat under the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he preached of a kingdom of God. They were all about a kingdom. They knew about a kingdom. They were. They thought they were ready for the kingdom that God had prepared. They thought that uh, you know, the Davidic kingdom was going to uh, find its place there among them again. And they were ready for the political change. And they were ready for the physical kingdom. But they weren't ready for a kingdom that was, that was of God, that was by God, that was for God. They weren't ready for all of that. And so, what? for many of them, they were unwilling and unprepared uh, to accept what Jesus had for them. But you see that He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. It was about God. It was delivered on His behalf that the Son came and gave the message of the Father. You know, I'm not... I'm not in any way am I on the, you know, the plane of Jesus. I'm not even on the plane of the Apostle Paul. I'm not on the plane of any of the twelve. I'm not on that sort of plane. But, but listen, every time this word is opened, every time the word of God is preached, it's the word of God about the kingdom of God and it's serious business. Every time. And so I don't know if these people understood all that, but they had to know Jesus was unlike any other preacher, unlike any other teacher that they had ever been exposed to in their entire life. He says, the time is fulfilled. The time has come. A, A definite point in history. Not just any time. The time. The time that had been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. The time, the point in history when God had determined in His eternal plan that He would send His Son. It was a a declaration, that it was an announcement for those people that this is the time of all times. And all of history, my friend, has been divided into the fact before Christ and after Him. So it's the time, and that hasn't changed. When Christ came, it was the time of all times. And we should never, ever get over that. We should always be amazed at that and know that Christ, that he changed the world when he came. And the message that he taught and he preached, that he was a king. Every kingdom has a king. That's part of its necessity. For there to be a kingdom, there must be a king. It was his self-declaration that he was the king. The time is now fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right now. He was with them. At hand. You can touch him. Now. The message that he preached. Was it not? Not John's. Same message. Yeah. Repent. Repent. See, the two greatest preachers there ever were, John the Baptist and Jesus, had the same sermon, repent. Same thing. Same message that you and I heard as we were growing up by a man who had millions to hear him, Billy Graham, repent. See, we as preachers that we can dabble in a whole lot of things. But the core of our preaching must always be the message of repentance. Repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That message has not changed. That message that it will not change, that there must be a turning in our life away from sin, from the other object of our affection, and a repentance, and that we, in faith, that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two things are a necessity that we repent, we turn from the other little g gods in our life, and that we have faith in and we believe in the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, those things must be in place in our life always, always. And today I would tell you the greatest need that you have in your life, the greatest need that I have in my, ever had in my life is the fact that I needed to repent and I needed to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm happy to tell you that as a young man at the Owens Chapel Baptist Church that I bowed at an altar there and I repented of my sins and I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and now that I, I am a part of this kingdom that Jesus preached about 2,000 years ago and I am a part of it today and I will be a part of it in the future let me ask you has there been a time in your life where you have repented repented of your sin and that you have put your faith in that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ isn't that simple and yet we can make it awful hard. But believing in Christ, repenting, believing that it's simple, so simple that anyone in this building today, you can do it. If Christ has become real to you today, if you know and you've, you sense His nearness today and, and you know you need to trust in Him, you can today. You don't even have to wait till we sing just as I am. Right now, right where you are, in your pew, in your heart. If you'll confess the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Wow. This would be a great day for some, someone, for someone to trust Christ today. It's a perfect day. I invite you to come to Him. You need to come to Him. You must come to Him. You must be born again. You must be. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. It's not an option. You must be born again. If you want to experience the kingdom of God, it's not going to be by your good works, by what you have done or what you haven't done. It's by being born again. That's it. Have you been born again? Repentance alone? Say, repentance alone is just remorse unless you turn to Christ. Got it? Repentance alone is just remorse unless you turn to Christ. Got to do it. That's it. Third, to look at Jesus' power and authority over his servants. In verses 16 through 20. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. Here we see that Mark gives us an account of four fishermen, two sets of brothers, What a beautiful and wonderful little, I don't know, little picture here of how simple Jesus Christ was in His ministry. That He started His ministry and He ended His ministry by talking to people. And that's really what ministry is about, is caring for the souls of people. It's not about buildings or budgets or any of those things. It's about people. And I encourage you in your life to know that that's really what your life is to be about as well as mine. Caring about those that are around us and trying to point them toward the Lord Jesus Christ and what God has for them in ministry. Now what we don't see here in Mark is that there had already been a previous encounter with Jesus. Mark doesn't talk about those, but the other Gospels do. That this wasn't the first time that Andrew was introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. And so I believe that these men, that they were converted at their initial meeting with Jesus. And now, in this encounter with Jesus that we see in Mark, it is their uh, surrender to His call of servitude. He had already given them the call to salvation, but now He extends to them the personal call of servitude. They were called to be His disciples, His closest companions, His Messengers, the one that he would instill and entrust the gospel message with and that he would leave the ministry with when he was no longer here upon this earth. These were special people. Special and they were special because he called them. They were very ordinary people. We find ourselves on the this, this setting of the Sea of Galilee. It was the hub of that area, that their very livelihood and their very existence was sustained by this sea. These fishermen, that they, many of them, that these different little villages that would outline the, that lake or that sea, that these people that their livelihood was gained by going out on the water and casting nets and Bringing in fish and then going back and selling those fish to the market marketplace and making a living, with this busy fishing industry. Now, there's some things that uh, hasn't changed a whole lot. Does anybody watch Deadliest Catch? Yeah, a few, maybe a couple, a few. Those some pretty tough customers, aren't they? Now, you know, they may not be in Alaska trying to catch a snow crab and risking their life, but it's still risky business. And these guys that they were rough-shod men. These were men's men. No nonsense kind of guys. Hard workers. Just normal people. Normal people. I'm always amazed when I think about the fact that God didn't entrust His richest blessing and His most valuable asset to the high and the mighty of life. The most important thing that's ever been entrusted was this gospel. And Jesus took the common and the ordinary people of life and entrusted this most precious thing with. Today, as I look across the congregation, there's a few of you that are the elite, but most of us are normal. Normal. Normal people. And I also know that as we sit in these pews, that we really doubt if God could use us. We really doubt if God would want to use us. We think, oh, oh, look at so-and-so, God. Look at all the abilities that they have. Oh, God, have you seen so-and-so over here? You know, they graduated the top of their class at UK. You see this person, they run their own business. But you see, uh, God is more than willing to use these people... But normally, God uses these people. People like me and people like you. Who really, on the grand scheme of things, that we're average. I'm average at best. Some days I'm below. Maybe every now and then I'm above. But most days I'm below. Average at best. And yet that the Lord Jesus Christ, when... He could have chosen anyone, he chose, he chose he chose some fishermen. See, I'm below average, I told you. I told you I was below average. He chose some fishermen that smelt. Some fishermen that probably didn't have the best etiquette. Probably didn't have perfect Grammar. Just the common, ordinary people, but you know they had qualities of courage. They had qualities of cooperation. How do you know they co- could cooperate? They were in a family business. Some of you are in a family business. No, that's some tough work. If you can get along with your brother or your dad or whoever, you can get along with anybody working, I think, from what I can tell. And so God uses the common, ordinary situations of our life to bring Him glory. No play on words when Jesus says, I'm going to make you fisher of men. He took their life experience and said, hey, we're going to take what you do every day and we're going to use it for God's glory. You know what, that's what He wants to do with your life. He wants to take what you do every day and use it for God's glory. Now some of you have an opportunity to affect lots of people with what you do every day for God's glory. Some of you, it may be a smaller circle, but that's immaterial. Our job isn't to, you know, decide the scope of our ministry. Our job is just to be faithful. So God wants you, God wants me, To take what we do in in a normal, ordinary day and to transform it into something that God can use for His glory. To be fishers of men. That these men, that they were casting a net in verse 16. Simon and Andrew, his brother, they're casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. If you know anything about this, this was, you know, they still do that. Guys uh, catch a bait fish sometimes doing this now. Go up to the lake and they'll, you know, catch those shiners running or whatnot and they'll throw a net out there and and they'll gather it up and that'll be their bait. But here they weren't fishing for bait, they were fishing for keepers. They'd have a net, uh, they say it's a circle net, probably 15 uh, feet across or so and They'd learn how to throw that net and they'd gather it in and there would be, sometimes there'd be a catch of fish, sometimes there wouldn't. That's how it is in our life that we're to be fishers of men, that we're constantly to be throwing that net. Sometimes we bring in a fish, sometimes we don't. That's kind of how you guys are today. You go out there and you take your day fishing. Sometimes you catch some. Sometimes you don't. Immaterial, you're still out there fishing. You Knowing in our lives that it isn't our job to judge the success rate of it. Our job is just to throw the net. That's what he wants. That's what they did every day. They just threw the net. Yes, we're to use our, our head about it. We're, you know, we're to... Know where the fish are and when to throw it and where to throw it and all that. But hey, if we don't catch them this time, we'll, we'll throw it again and try to catch them the next time. Sometimes around here we do things that flop. You know what? We won't do that again. Or we'll try that. We'll do something different next time. But sometimes we hit a home run. Well, they say a blind hog finds an acorn every now and then. You throw her back again. That's how it is in your life and mine. Sometimes we draw on the net and we catch some. Sometimes we don't. But we keep throwing the net. We do that personally. We keep doing that as a church collectively. May God help me. May God help you. That we truly do become fishers of men. You know what? Fishing was hard. It was hard work. I can't imagine doing that all day. Now this, uh, this spring, Michael Boland he took me fishing, and we were doing that spider rigging stuff. You, you got about 10 fishing poles sitting out there, and you're just watching. I'm just eating and watching. That's all I'm doing. Eating and watching. I can do that all day. But this was real work. Out there trying to keep your boat where it need to be. Out there trying to haul those fish in, deal with those fish, throwing in, going back and dumping them out, doing this all day in the sun. It was hard. It was hard work. But yet that's what God called them to. You know what, I'm not a disciple, I'm not an apostle as we see here. And you aren't either. But God has still called us to be fishers of men. He's called us to be in the business of His business. And there's no doubt about it. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be days when you feel like that, yes, I have accomplished something. There's going to be days when you feel like, boy, that was a waste of my time. There are going to be days when it hurts. There are going to be days when you feel like you're a total washout. And that's how it is in ministry oftentimes. But yet we must keep on. We must show up for work in the morning. We must put our nets out the next day. We must tend to our boats the next day. We've got to keep on for the cause of Christ. must happen. We're fishing for souls. Look what Jesus said in 17. Come ye after me, and I might make you become fishers of men. No. That's not what he said. Come ye after me, and I will. Let's say that together. I will make you become fishers of men. You see, what God has called us to do, to be fishers of men, he says, You just follow me, and I'll do the work through you. You and I can do that. You and I can follow him. Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. These guys got to cut out the middleman. Jesus said, you just follow me. And this, it's the same. It's the same for me. It's the same for you today. We follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus closely, we will become fishers of men. It's not a, it's not a maybe. You show me somebody who is fishing for men, and I'll show you somebody who's following Jesus closely. Those two go hand in hand. You see, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna motivate you, and you're not gonna motivate me to care for the souls of men just by trying to challenge me to care for the souls of men. We're gonna care for the souls of men, and we're gonna become fishers of men when we get up close and personal with Jesus Christ. I think oftentimes we try to scoot around getting, getting close to Jesus. But I can get up here and I can. I can try, you know, I can lamblast you about doing this, having this sin in your life, this sin in your life, doing this, not doing this, not doing this, and doing that. But really, all of that is just peripheral stuff. Our problem is we don't love Jesus. That's our problem. That's my problem. And so today, I ask you to follow Jesus. I ask you to follow Him in salvation. And I ask you to follow Him in life dedication. That you and I, that we would surrender to be His servants. And it doesn't take much. It just takes following Jesus. That's all it takes. It's following Jesus and I will make you to become fishers of men. It's not possibly, maybe, fingers crossed, any of those things. When we follow Jesus, that we'll become fishers of men. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, win 752 souls to the Lord next year. That means that when you do that, that God is going to use your life the kingdom of God now in that there's going to be souls that are saved in that there's going to be lives that are encouraged and changed but he said come come after me and really that means get behind me as a disciple now we don't have the culture today that they had then obviously but you know teachers great teachers that they would have disciples that would come and, and follow them and, and live with them, so to speak. And the student would ask the disciple, can I be, Now, the student would ask the teacher, can I be your disciple? May I be your disciple? But here we have the teacher asking the student, unlike the teachers of that day. And I believe I believe the word for us today is that God is inviting you, that the Lord Jesus Christ is asking you to follow him step by step, day by day, and that you are going to learn what it is to be a fisher of men. He wants to be that for you. He wants to be that for me. 18, straightway. There's that immediately straightway. Remember those two? They are, those are synonymous. I almost said simultaneous, Paul Chapel, but they're synonymous. Synonymous. Again, straightway. They forsook their nets and they followed him. Remember, I said that they'd already had an encounter with Christ. But now he had called them to follow ship. Something they, they hadn't grasped initially. But he calls them to follow ship. This is a different part in the walk, journey with the Lord. I'm talking to a lot of people today that you've been saved, that you are born again, you've repented, you believed, but you can't say with all sincerity and honesty today that you're following Him. And I'd say that's a lot of us, to be quite frank with you. So today I'm calling you to follow Jesus. Say, so Ronnie, what's that look like? I don't know what it's going to look like. It doesn't matter what it's going to look like, really. They didn't know what that was going to look like. They had no idea. You think that they had any idea what they were in for? No. No. They were in it for three years and still didn't know what they were in for. That doesn't matter. He's called us to follow him. And they forsook their nets and they followed him. 19 and 20. He went a little further, saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. Straightway, there it is again. He called them. They left their father Zebedee in the ship and the hired servants and went after him. I, mean, I don't know if Zebedee had a lot of money, but he had enough money to have hired servants. I ain't got one, do you? <laughs> they were willing to forsake it all, they were willing to leave it all behind. Their daddy had a servant. They were willing to leave it all behind. The life of following Jesus is not going to be easy. I don't want to pretend like it is. But the life of following Jesus is the only life that's going to give you what you're looking for. That's it. Hey, Ronnie, how do you know what I'm looking for? I know at the end result we're all looking for whatever God has for us. We just ain't smart enough to know it yet. And following Jesus is the only way that you're going to get that life that you're looking for. Number one, do you know him? Has there been a time in your life where you've repented and you believed in him? Say, Ronnie, I've been, I've been to church. I've been a good person. I've been baptized. I've been. That's not what I was asking. Have you repented and have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Those two things. If you haven't done that today you need to do that you need to lay your pride aside need to lay church membership aside and I'm not discounting not discounting that that's important if you've been saved but if you've never been saved today's the day I believe there's some folks here today that in your heart that you're feeling so much unrest right now that you could puke Friend, today's the day of salvation. Don't let anything keep you from Christ today. There's nothing in this world or in eternity to come that's worth losing your soul over. Now, if you've done that, are you following Jesus? As we see here, that these guys, they'd already encountered Jesus, but he's called them to follow him. And as I say, this, I'm not talking about vocational ministry. I'm not talking about that, that God has called you to go to Zimbabwe or Brazil or China or Argentina or Russia. I'm not talking about it. He might be, and if he is, follow him. But I'm worried about, are you following him in Mayfield? Are you following him in Sedalia? Are you following him in Golo? Are you following him in Fancy Farm? Are you following him in Kaler? Are you following him in, in Lowe's? Where, wherever, are you following him? That's his invitation for you today. And when you follow him, God's going to use you. Hey, Ronnie, I don't don't know what God's will is. Well, let me give you a good start. Follow Him. That's a good start. Follow Him. I love you. God wants you to follow Him. I pray you'll be obedient today. Let's pray together. God, in this time that we've shared today,